For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Hey now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of Over the Line, your favorite podcast in the whole wide world. Actually starting on time today because we're anticipating the president speaking at any given moment. I thought he was going to beat me to the punch, but apparently that is not happening. So we're patiently waiting. I assume he's going to give this speech in the Rose Garden. And uh, we'll give it to you as long as it... uh, as long as it lasts. I can't imagine it would be too long, probably because Trump's not real happy about signing this thing. But he also does love talking. He likes to talk a lot. So We don't normally do the show on Friday. We usually just do a Monday through Thursday deal, but we had to rearrange some things this week, so we figured we'd throw an extra episode in. Here's what we planned on doing, and, and this is all, all this happens because of a time zone difference. Uh, we were going to have uh, Joy Villa on the show today, and it actually kind of worked out, because if we were going to be on time, uh, on air in time for the president speaking, um, we probably wouldn't have been able to have her on, because they're out in L.A., so they're two hours behind us. And she's been traveling back and forth since the Grammys and all that stuff. So we may try to get her on Monday instead of this week. Uh, Just because when you're out in L.A. and there's a show that wants you at uh, 9 9 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. their time, they don't want to get up and talk to some jabroni in Alabama on the phone for 30 minutes. They just don't want to do it. 
It's completely understandable. First of all, overthelineshow.com is the website. If you haven't gone and signed up for the newsletter there at the bottom of that page, make sure you do so. We're going to start emailing people once we add uh, more and more stuff to that page. Outside of the border deal, the the uh, immigration agreement, there's plenty of stuff to talk about that we'll get to today. Um, but who knows what's going to come? Wouldn't it be an amazing move if Donald Trump just came out and <laughs> everybody's anticipating him signing this agreement, and then he gets out and into the Rose Garden? He's like, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm not going to sign it. Peace. And he drops the mic. That would be good. Would enjoy that. Wouldn't be surprised by it either. Here's some of the things I'm going to throw at you today, though, outside of that. And there's plenty to talk about on that front. But some of the other stuff, Andrew McCabe, man, I feel like we've talked about this guy uh, till we're blue in the face. Uh, he is now on a book tour, which is just the popular thing to do when you're at odds with the president. Uh, you get canned, you write a book, then you sue the president. The most recent uh, cycle of that we've seen from your buddy Cliff Sims. Uh, Andrew McCabe will be following that same route. He is currently on the book portion of that. And a 60 Minutes interview he did where he talked about uh, invoking the 25th Amendment to get the president out of office will be airing on Sunday. We've got some previews of that. If you haven't heard it yet, you probably have. If you're watching the news, they're, they're playing it all over the place. But we'll play it for you anyway. So uh, we've got that. We've got this juicy Smollett story. And it's so funny because we, we went on Facebook Live. Which, by the way, we're on Facebook Live today. I think this is the first time we've done this. So technically we're on Facebook Live and we're on YouTube at the same time. We're growing up. We're becoming a big boy podcast. How about that? So that way I can, I'll try my best to keep up with the two chat rooms going on here. I'm, I'm not really good at that, but I'm going to try my best. Uh, when we were on Facebook Live yesterday, we talked about this story, and we didn't have evidence to the contrary just yet, but we just assumed that this was going to turn out to be a hoax. Just for one, it seemed way too unbelievable, and two, whenever these stories come out that some rabid Trump supporter attacked a minority gay person and poured bleach all over a black man. It just, it just seemed a little out there. Because we all know that most Trump supporters are actually civilized people. It's quite opposite on the other side. So it was hard to believe, and now the story's starting to unravel, and sure enough, police are like, well... Turns out the guys that attacked him weren't uh, weren't white guys screaming "build the wall." They were actually not only not only black guys, but they were black guys that actually worked on the same TV show as this guy. <laughs> so, that's worked out well. So we'll talk about that, and there, there's more information and confirming to do on that front. But you might as well uh, count that as a done deal. He's, he, that dude's goose is cooked. Uh, what else? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez costing her state tons and tons of jobs. This is a beautiful thing, by the way. And I hate, you know, for communities to lose out on economic prosperity. Um, but really, 
It's the fault of the people that voted these idiots into office. Now, granted, I can't really blame New York or this particular district for electing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, because I don't know if you know this, but she won a majority of the vote with a 4% turnout. They had 4% turnout in her election. So 4% of the voters in her district voted, and she won, which is probably the only way she would have won. They just assumed the other guy was going to win, so they didn't bother to go vote. And now look at them. Now they've got some snot-nosed college kid running Amazon, Amazon's headquarters out of town that would have generated billions of tax dollars, given thousands upon thousands of high-paying jobs, and now what? Now they're gone. Now they've hightailed it. They're like, you know what? You guys are crazy. We're not going to be building our headquarters here. And the people that are most upset about it, according to polls, African Americans and Hispanics, who would have really enjoyed having those jobs. <laughs> the people that she's claiming to, to, to stand up for the most have been the ones uh, most affected or are most upset about that. So uh, take that for what you will. Again, waiting on the president. Um, these things, uh, when when there's an anticipated speech, and we're already 15 minutes into this thing, they always run kind of late, anywhere from 5 to, to 20 minutes late. Uh, again, we're now at the 15-minute mark. So should be any minute. We will wait and see uh, when that pops up. I think that's about all that's going on now. I mean, there's other things we could get to. Uh, the Ilhan Omar chick who finally was reprimanded for her uh, anti-Semitic comments. The Democrat Party finally, uh, finally got put in a position where they had to denounce her, her comments, even though they've been going on for a long time. This lady associates herself with the most extremist of of Muslims. And yet, the Democrat Party had to sit on their hands until this point and finally call her out. And now you've got strife within the Democratic Party, which you guys know me. There's nothing I love more than watching all the infighting going on uh, with the Democratic Party. It's good. It's good stuff. It's my favorite, favorite pastime. Uh, all right. At Andrew McLean, who on Twitter, if you guys got anything for me, you can send it over there. Obviously, uh, some of you guys are watching on Facebook Live, so you're already added on the Facebook page. For those of you that are listening elsewhere, go add the uh, the Facebook page, over the line page, and make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform that you use, whether that's Apple Podcast or spotify or whatever make sure you go subscribe to that and give us a give us a rating i didn't even think about this until the other day but uh it's important for us to get ratings especially on places like apple podcast because it, it moves us up the charts as far as like the the trending list and all that so if you haven't done that if you've got the iphone or you can probably just do it from your desktop or something even if you don't Go to the Over the Line profile 
on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast and just like click five stars or give me one star. I don't care. I just need ratings on there. Actually, the 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 least five stars. The more middle of the road it is, the more popular I'll probably look. And this is all about looking more popular than you actually are. That's the point of this. So, uh, with that, man, it's hard to keep up with this over here. What we'll do, uh, since we're still waiting on the president, and until that cuts in, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about this Andrew McCabe stuff. And I may go back and play it again for you, but this is... This is stuff that we already knew, but the media, obviously, with it making its way back into the headlines, are a big fan of regurgitating old news that is detrimental to the president. Let me just play you a little bit of this audio from 60 Minutes. Again, this thing airs on Sunday, so we've only got to... Uh, I, I've got my hands on about a minute 20 of the interview, and it's the portion that they're playing all over the news cycle about where he talks about how he felt he was obligated to start this Russia investigation because he felt like this, this president was a danger to this country and he had to do something to stop it. Had to do something. Here's Andrew McCabe, 60 minutes CBS. I was speaking for the man who had just run for the presidency and, and, and won the election for the presidency. So that was probably a little uh, low. You may not have been able to hear that, but it was because I was using the wrong volume. Go figure. This Facebook Live stuff's throwing me off. I'll play that again uh, uh, when we get back uh, after the president starts speaking. If that ever happens, who knows if he's ever going to show up, but we'll see. I've got a. Here's the thing I've got CNN pulled up, which I'm not going to bring you the stream from CNN because knowing them, they'll cut into the middle of it and start bashing the president. Um, and they're just showing uh, uh, an image of the current Dow Jones, where the Dow Jones sit, and it's up 1.23%, if anybody cares. But I'm watching the comments on here, and uh, people are so stupid, especially people on the internet. Why are you guys so stupid? Let me see. I just want to read you a couple of these. And these are the people, again, that are patiently waiting for the president's remarks uh, on Facebook. They're watching a, a different Facebook live stream. Um, let's see. Your, your mentally ill President Trump is the devil. Um... It's a shame he's reversing everything Obama did. He did so much for this country. Worst president of all times. Oh, here's a good one. Our economy is in the crapper. This is my favorite one. Worst president ever. Uh, oh, can't read that one. Donald Trump is a, a bleep, bleep, bleep. Mm-hmm. This is great since 99% of MAGA voters live in trailers and don't benefit from anything Donald Trump does. That's also a good one. I love that. Now, here's what's ironic, and, and once we start talking about this stuff, we can get into all that, is the fact that it's the Democrat politicians that are that are running off businesses and things that actually help people economically that benefit people like 
jobs, high-paying jobs, that produce uh, tax dollars to to communities, that drive revenue for communities that then build things like you see in Birmingham, like a sportsplex or, you know, whatever. Anything that benefits the community. The more jobs you have, it's it's more than just giving people jobs. It helps the community as a whole. And I guess some people don't really understand that, especially <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who claims to care so much about her district. Nonetheless, uh, she runs them off. It's funny because... Yeah, I started my radio career in Anniston, Alabama, a small, smaller town in, in Alabama, for those of you outside that aren't familiar. And before I got there, before I started working there, there was a former city councilman by the name of Ben Little. Okay, now Ben Little was a troublemaker. He was a race baiter. And when he, was, uh, when he had a seat on the city council, he did whatever he could in order to keep Aniston moving backwards instead of forward. He was just in the business of obstructing, claiming victimhood, and whatever he could do just to cause chaos. And I don't know what his end game in that was. Maybe it was just his personality. Maybe he was stuck in a time where he felt like the injustices in the community were still rampant. I don't know. But he was a troublemaker. And then he... Uh, you know, for good reason, got voted out of office. And they had a stretch where they had some pretty normal, level-headed people in there. And then the new elections come up, and I guess this was a year or two ago. He ends up being reelected by his district, a district that I don't even think he lives in. But those are minor details. He ends up getting reelected to the city council, and now he's back plunging Aniston into a free fall. And it's it's kind of a sad situation, but I watch it and I follow the news outlets in that area. And this guy is just in the business of causing problems, scaring off businesses, and just d- making decisions all around that are worse for that city. That's what I see in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She makes decisions that ultimately hurt the people that voted for her. Now, again, like I said, she won that vote. uh, She won that election with 4% of the turnout. So I don't know how many of those people are actually her people. But the minorities, the African-Americans, the Hispanics, all the people that she claims she's sticking up for, the poor people, the poor people that need jobs, that need a way to make money. Those have been, so far in her short time in in Congress, those have been the ones that have been hurt the most by her. And I don't know if she realizes that or not, because she's she's on Twitter cheering. Here's a tweet from her just from 22 minutes ago. She says, yeah, I'm laughing at this. Uh, It's a retweet by somebody, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Okay, here's the tweet that she retweeted. She said, I'm also amazed that this Amazon pullout is about, is now being placed on, uh, what does that mean? 
AOC on MSNBC. Some somehow this one person, not the governor or the mayor, acts the the Amazon deal. Apparently, it's uh, all the fault of a freshman congressperson. Okay, never mind. They're being sarcastic. But here's what uh, Alexandria Cortez said. She said, Amazon was not coming to my congressional district, had no uh, concentrated outreach to us that I'm aware of, yet with no effort, I defeated the richest man in the world. Doesn't add up. So she's trying to say that she had nothing to do with it. Now, that's not, ex- <laughs> that's not the sentiment from the governor of New York, who is blaming... Alexandria Cortez and her compadres that have uh, that have caused this to happen, or let's say allegedly caused this to happen. They're putting the blame on them. They're saying this is on you, and she's pretending. Now, if you go back yesterday, and I'm trying to flip through her Twitter now, uh, she was cheering, and and really, she tweets so much. I'm never going to be able to find it. Uh, she really seemed to be taking credit. She says, anything is possible. Today was the day a group of dedicated, everyday New Yorkers and their neighbors defeated Amazon's corporate greed, its workers' exploitation, and the power of the richest man in the world. She's proud of herself. She's proud that she defeated the big bad Amazon. And listen, I'm not an Amazon defender. Amazon just wrapped up their second year in a row of paying zero federal tax. Okay? That's a problem. But uh, the fact that she is excited about this, the fact that she thinks, like a lot of these protesters that have been out there, that somehow Amazon hurts people in poor communities, that Amazon... uh, creates homelessness. I literally saw a protester where it said Amazon causes people to be homeless. That's a thing, apparently. (laughs) I didn't know that. I'm glad we know now. Because that was something that I had no clue about. Again, overthelineshow.com. You guys go to the website. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter. When we come back on the other side, we will hopefully have the president. If he hasn't already started speaking... I haven't seen it yet, so once that does happen, we will uh, we'll come back and we'll bring that to you ASAP right here on a very special Friday edition of Over the Line. YouTube, Facebook, everybody's joining us today. We appreciate that. This show will also be posted uh, on your favorite podcast app very soon, so be on the lookout for it. Y'all hang tight.
Friday edition as we anticipate the president coming out and speaking in the Rose Garden to the nation about this bill. And, and it begs the question, what's what's going on behind those closed doors right now? Because I'm looking at a live shot of the Rose Garden. And the the camera is fixated on the door that he will be coming out of once they're ready to go. What's going on behind that door? Are there final preparations in the speech? Are there uh, are there uh, second guesses going on? Is Trump thinking maybe I shouldn't do this? Because here's the deal, if we're being honest, there are some things that are really bad in this bill. Some things that are outright bad and some things that are potentially bad. One of those things is the fact that it allows some Texas border communities a way to opt out of having a wall on their border. Now, you probably say to yourself, you know, the people that are living on the border, if anybody wants a wall, it's going to be those guys because they've got these people crossing over their land, putting them in danger, doing God knows what. But some of them may be able to be persuaded, and some of them may be downright against it from the get-go. I don't know. I don't know those people. I know a majority, according to the president that he's talked to, have been 100% for the wall. But that's not all of them. So there's that, and there's also parts of this bill that keeps immigrants from being detained when they cross the border. Kind of putting us in the same position and this, I don't, I don't want it to be misinterpreted. This is not wide-reaching, but it has some things in there where it ties the hands of Border Patrol agents in some cases, which then could potentially allow dangerous people to get back into this country. Here's what the Democrats wanted to do. And, and I think we talked about this either yesterday or uh, Wednesday. They literally came out and wanted to extremely decrease the amount of beds, as they call them beds, which is like where they detain people. I guess you got to have a bed if you're going to detain them. I say let them sleep on the floor. 
If life's that bad in your country, just let them sleep on the floor. They'll be okay with it. They finally made it in. They wanted to decrease the amount of beds down to 16,500 or something like that. Which means after you detain that many people, you just have to let the rest that cross over the border out into the wild. Now, knowing that we have these leftist groups that, that put these caravans together and stuff, imagine our Border Patrol filling up the beds that they've been allowed to have, and then a caravan of, of 5,000 people comes across, and they can do nothing about it because they can't detain them. It's crazy. The, and the arguments that these guys put up are just as absurd. Just like the drugs. Well, you know, a majority of the drugs, they come through the ports of entry. You know, let's just look at the stats. We've got the numbers. Well, do you have the numbers on the drugs that come across the open border where there's no wall that you didn't catch? Do you have those numbers? Do you have the numbers of the drugs that come across that get into the hands of young Americans that then overdose? In their mom's basement, do you have those numbers? Because we're still uh, we're still at a point in society where people, hundreds of people, are overdosing on a daily basis, if not more than that. So where are those drugs coming from? Are those in your stats? Are those drugs counted in in your um, your statistics? I doubt it. Actually, I don't doubt it. I know they're not in there. You can't count the drugs that you don't catch. The Democrats care. Uh, they, they pretend to care about the opioid epidemic. They pretend to care even about the immigrants themselves that cross the border. Little children, little girls that are being raped and tortured on their way over here. They're being sent over here because they know there's an opportunity for them to illegally cross the border. So the parents, in order to give them a um, better life, if you will, allow them to go with these people knowing what's going to happen to them. It's why they find birth control and contraceptives in these, in these kids' backpacks, because they know what's going to happen. Yet they still allow them to come because they know we, the U.S. of A., still have open borders. They still have the opportunity to, uh, to cross in. That's why this is so dire. And Democrats have done nothing but play politics. Another aspect of this is the fact that the president, in declaring this national emergency, Nancy Pelosi comes out yesterday to make comments on the whole thing and, and she's asked by reporters what she's going to do to challenge the president on declaring a national emergency thus finding funds for the wall i'll tell you what she said coming up later in the show the president's walking out now so we will promptly go to this mr Thank you very much, donald j trump okay you have any questions yeah uh, John, go ahead. Yes. You were prepared. 
Uh, Mr. President, a lot of the money... Were you saying I was prepared? What, with the microphone and oh, prepared for questions. I thought you questions. meant I was prepared. I couldn't believe <laughs> no, no, you no, said no, no. that. <laughs> People don't like saying that. You were prepared for questions. I am I prepared. prepared. I'm always prepared. Uh, a lot of the money uh, that uh, goes to count toward your $8 billion is money that's being reprogrammed uh, in the DOD budget. How, how can you guarantee uh, to military families and to our men and women of the military that none of the money that would be reprogrammed to a wall will take away from other... Uh, technology, other renovations, construction that is yeah. desperately needed in our military. So, John, we had certain funds that are uh, being used at the discretion of generals, at the discretion of the military. Uh, some of them haven't been allocated yet, and some of the generals think that this is more important. Uh, I was speaking to a couple of them. They think this is far more important than what they were going to use it for. I said, what were you going to use it for? And I won't go into details, but didn't sound too important to me. Plus, if you think, uh, I've gotten $700 billion for the military in year one. And then last year, $716 billion. And we're rebuilding our military. But we have a lot. And under the previous administration, our military was depleted, badly depleted. And they weren't spending, I mean, they had a much less, they had a much smaller amount of money. So when I got $700 billion, and then $716 billion. And this year it's going to be pretty big, too, because there's few things more important than our military. You know, I, I'm a big deficit believer in all of that. But before we really start focusing on certain things, we have to build up our military. It was very badly depleted. And we're buying all new jet fighters, all new missiles, all new defensive equipment. We have – we'll soon have a military like we've never had before. But – when you think about the kind of numbers you're talking about, so you have 700 billion, 716 billion, when I need 2 billion, 3 billion out of that for a wall, which is a very important instrument, a very important for the military because of the drugs that pour in. And as you know, we have specific rules and regulations where they have drugs and what you can do in order to stop drugs, and that's part of it, too. We're taking a lot of money from that realm also. But when you have that kind of money going into the military, this is a very, very small amount that we're asking for. Now, go ahead. Go ahead. ABC. Not NBC. I like ABC a little bit more, not much. Come on, ABC. Not much. Pretty close. Uh, Mr. President, what do you say to those, including some of your Republican allies, who say that you are violating the Constitution with this move and setting a bad precedent that will be abused by possibly Democratic presidents in the future? Marco Rubio. Well, not made too many point. people, yeah. Not too many people have said that. Uh, but the courts will determine that. Look, I expect to be sued. I shouldn't be sued. Very rarely do you get sued when you do national emergency. And then other people say, oh, if you use it for this, now what are we using it for? We've got to get rid of drugs and gangs and people. It's an invasion. We have an invasion of drugs and criminals coming into our country that we stop, but it's very hard to stop. With a wall, it would be very easy. So I think that we will be very successful in court. I think it's clear. And the people that say we create precedent, well, what do you have, 56 or a lot of times? Well, that's creating precedent. And many of those are far less important than having a border. You don't have a border, you don't have a country. You know, we fight before I got here. We fight all over the world to create borders for countries. 
but we don't create a border for our own country. So I think what will happen is, sadly, we'll be sued, and sadly, uh, it'll go through a process, and happily, we'll win, I think. Go ahead. Let's go. Let's hear it, NBC. Come Thank on. you, Mr. President. I just want to say, when, uh, in the past, when President Obama tried to use executive action as it related to immigration, you said the whole concept of executive order, it's not the way the country's supposed to be run. You said you're supposed to go through Congress and make a deal. Well, you concede that you were unable to make the deal that you had promised in the past and that the deal you're ending up with now from Congress is less than what you could have had no. before a 35-day shutdown. I went through Congress. I made a deal. I got almost $1.4 billion when I wasn't supposed to get $1. Not $1. He's not going to get $1. Well, I got $1.4 billion, but I'm not happy with it. I also got billions and billions of dollars for other things. Port of entries, lots of different things. The purchase of drug equipment. More than we were even requesting. In fact, the primary fight was on the wall. Everything else we have so much, as I said, I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. But on the wall, they skimped. So I did, I was successful in that sense, um, but I want to do it faster. I could do the wall over a longer period of time. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. And I don't have to do it for the election. I've already done a lot of wall for the election, 2020. And the only reason we're up here talking about this is because of the election. Because they want to try and win an election which it looks like they're not going to be able to do. And this is one of the ways they think they can possibly win, is by obstruction and a lot of other nonsense. Uh, and I think that uh, I just want to get it done faster. That's all. Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank Roberta you. Rampton from Reuters. I wanted to ask about China. Um, do you feel that enough progress has been made in the talks to head off the increase in tariffs scheduled for March 1? Well, you know, you have, you're talking to the wrong person because I happen to like tariffs, okay? I mean, we're taking in billions and billions of dollars in tariffs from China. And our steel industry now is an example. We tax dumped steel. Much of it comes from China at 25 percent. Our steel industry is, is so vibrant now again. They're building plants all over the United States. It's a beautiful thing. And from a defensive standpoint, and from any standpoint, you need steel. You know, you can do without certain industries. Our country cannot do without steel. So I love tariffs, but I also love them to negotiate. And right now, China is paying us billions of dollars a year in tariffs. And I haven't even started. Now, here's the thing. If we make a deal, they won't have to pay. You know, it'll be a whole different story. They won't be paying that, but we'll have a fair deal. There won't be intellectual property theft. There won't be so many other things that have gone on. And no other president has done this. No other president. We didn't have a deal with China. Yet the WTO, one of the worst trade deals ever made, probably even worse than NAFTA, if that's believable, which is, you know, hard to believe, because I think NAFTA was just a disaster. It was a total disaster for our country. And now we made the USMCA, which is going to be a terrific, a great deal. And by the way, the USMCA from Mexico, that's United States, Mexico, Canada, that's where the money's coming from, not directly, but indirectly, for the wall. And nobody wants to talk about that, because we're saving billions and billions of dollars a year if Congress approves that deal. 
Now, they might not want to approve a deal just because they'll say, one of the things I'm thinking of doing, this has never been done before. No matter how good a deal I make with China, if they sell me Beijing for one dollar, if they give me 50 percent of their land and every ship that they've built over the last two years, which is a lot, and they give them to me free, the Democrats will say, what a lousy deal. That's a terrible deal. Like ZTE, I got a billion, more than a billion dollar penalty in a short period of time. And the Democrats said, oh, should have gotten more. When I made that deal, I said, this is incredible. I just got, I got over a billion dollar penalty, plus they had to change their board of directors. They had to change their top management. But they had to pay over a billion dollars. I said, what a deal. It took like a week. And the Democrats didn't even know there was a problem with ZT. I'm the one that fined them. I'm the one that settled it. Over a billion dollars. And President Xi called me. And he said it would be important to him if they could get a deal. And we met a deal, paid like in a short period of time. The Democrats went out and said, oh, they should have done better. So what I'm thinking of doing is getting Chuck Schumer, getting Nancy Pelosi, having them bring two or three of their brilliant representatives. And we'll all go down together. And what we'll do is we'll negotiate. I'll put them in the room and let them speak up. Because any deal I make with China, if it's the great, it's going to be better than any deal that anybody ever dreamt possible. Or I'm not going to have a deal. It's very simple. But any deal I make with China, Schumer's going to stand up and say, oh, it should have been better. It should have been better. And you know what? That's not acceptable to me. So I'm thinking about doing something uh, very different. I don't think it's ever been. I just don't want to be second-guessed. But that's not even second-guessed. That's called politics. Sadly, I'd probably do the same thing to them, okay? But any deal I make, toward the end, I'm going to bring Schumer, at least offer him, and Pelosi. I'm going to say, please join me on the deal. And by the way, I just see our new attorney general is sitting in the front row. Please stand up, Bill. Such an easy job he's got. He's got the easiest job in government. Thank you, and congratulations. That was a great vote yesterday. Thank you very much. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. In your remarks, sir, you said that you were too new to politics earlier in your administration when you would have preferred that this be done. Is that an admission of how you might be changing on the job? And Well, I'm could... learning. I mean, I am learning. Don't forget. It's not like I've did, done this for... A senator came into my office and said, sir, I've been running for office for 30 years. I've won seven out of seven. I did lose a couple when I was younger. I said, well, I've won one out of one. But, you know, I never did politics before. Now I do politics. I, I will tell you, I'm very disappointed at certain people, particular one, for not having pushed this faster. Are you referring but to Speaker I've Ryan, sir? Who? Speaker Ryan? Uh, let's not talk about it. Okay. What difference does it make? But they should have pushed it faster. They should have pushed it harder. And they didn't. They didn't. Uh, if they would have, it would have been... A little bit better. In the meantime, I've built a lot of wall. I have a lot of money, and I built a lot of wall. But it would have been nice to have gotten done. And I would like to see major immigration reform. And maybe that's something we can all work on, Bill, where we all get together and do major immigration reform, not just for a wall, for a barrier, 
for port of entry, for other things. We have a real problem. We have catch and release. You catch a criminal, and you have to release him. We have so many other things. You have chain migration, where a bad person comes in, brings 22 or 23 or 35 of his family members because he has his mother, his grandmother, his sister, his cousin, his uncle. They're all in. You know what happened on the West Side Highway. That young wise guy drove over and killed eight people and horribly injured. Nobody talks about that. Horribly, like loss of legs and arms. Going 60 miles an hour, he made a right turn into a park on the West Side Highway along the Hudson River in New York. He had many people brought in because he was in the United States. It's called chain migration. And then you have the lottery. It's a horror show. Because when countries put people into the lottery, they're not putting you in. They're putting some very bad people in the lottery. It's common sense. If I ran a country, and if I have a lottery system of people going to the United States, I'm not going to put in my stars. I'm going to put in people I don't want. The lottery system's a disaster. I'm stuck with it. Mr. President, it could you tell wait. us? It should have never happened. Okay. Mr. President, could you tell us to what degree some of the outside conservative voices helped to shape your views on this national emergency? I, I would talk about it. Look, uh, Sean Hannity has been a terrific, terrific uh, supporter of what I do. Not of me. If I changed my views, he wouldn't be with me. Rush Limbaugh, I think he's a great guy. He's like, I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. For three hours, he speaks. He's got one of the biggest audiences in the history of the world. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. Try speaking for three hours without taking calls. Taking calls is easy. Okay, I'll answer this one. I'll answer that one. He goes for three hours, and he's got an audience that's fantastic. Wait. Uh, they don't decide policy. In fact, if I went opposite... I mean, they have somebody, Ann Coulter. I don't know her. I hardly know her. I haven't spoken to her in way over a year. But the press loves saying Ann Coulter. Probably if I did speak to her, she'd be very nice. I just don't have the time to speak to her. I would speak to her. I have nothing against her. In fact, I like her for one reason. When they asked her, like right at the beginning, who's going to win the election? She said, Donald Trump. And the two people that asked her that question smiled. They said, you're kidding, aren't you? Nope. Donald Trump. So I like her. But she's off the reservation. But anybody that knows her understands that. But I haven't spoken to her. I don't follow her. I don't talk to her. But the press loves to bring up the name Ann Coulter. And you know what? I think she's fine. I think she's good. But I just don't speak to her. Um, Laura's been great. Laura Ingram. Tucker Carlson's been great. I actually have a couple of people on CNN that have been very good. I have some on MSNBC the other day. They did a great report of me. I say, where the hell did that come from? I think it was the only one in over a year. So the crazy thing is, I just had, as you know, Rasmussen 52% in the polls. It's my highest poll number. And people get what we're doing. They get it. They really get it. And I'm honored by it. Yes, Jim Acosta. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, I, I wonder if you could comment on uh, this disconnect that we seem to have in this country where you are presenting information about what's happening at the border, calling it an invasion, talking about women with duct tape over their mouths and so on. And yet there's a lot of reporting out there. There's a lot of crime data out there. 
There's a lot of uh, Department of Homeland Security data out there that shows border crossings at a near record low. Uh, that shows us, un still, undocumented immigrants me, committing crime at lower levels. That shows undocumented criminals or undocumented immigrants committing crime at lower levels than native-born Americans. Um, what, what do you I, say I, to you? Your, don't, you don't really believe that stat. What, do you really believe what, that what do stat? You, well, Take let me a ask look you at this. our federal prisons. I believe, I believe in facts and statistics. Okay, and data, any more? Quick, let's go. Let me just ask you this. What do you say to your critics who say that you are creating a national emergency? that you're concocting a national emergency here in order to get your wall because I, I you couldn't get it through other ways. Moms, what do you think? You think I'm creating something? Ask these incredible women who lost their daughters and their sons, okay? Because your question is a very political question because you have an agenda. You're CNN. You're fake news. You have an agenda. Uh, the numbers that you gave are wrong. Take a look at our federal prison population. See how many of them percentage-wise, are illegal aliens. Just see. Go ahead and see. It's a fake question. Yes, go ahead. Can I ask yeah. a follow-up? Thank you, Mr. President. Just to follow up on that, unifying uh, crime reporting statistics, numbers from your own Border Patrol, numbers from this government, show that the amount of uh, illegal immigrants are down. There is not violence on the border. And that there's most not violence on the there's border? not as much violence no. oh, really? as let me, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, people let me finish the killed. question, please. Let me finish the question. Two weeks please. ago, 26 people were killed I in a gunfight on the border. I understand what you're a saying. A mile away from where I went. I, under, I was there. I understand. That's not the question. The question is, do we forget about that? No, I'm not forgetting about it. I'm asking you to clarify where you get your numbers, because most of the uh, DEA crimes reporting statistics that we see show that drugs are coming across at the ports of entry, that illegal immigration is down and the violence is down. Okay. So what do you base okay. your uh, facts let me, let me, on? Come on, let's go. Sort and of, secondly... Sort of, uh, no, no, you get I, one. You get well, one. Well, the Ready? second Just question sit down. Is, Wait, sit down. Sit down. Could you, could you please sit answer? Sit down. You get one um, question. Uh, I please. get my numbers from a lot of sources, like Homeland Security, primarily. And the numbers that I have from Homeland Security are a disaster. And you know what else is a disaster? The numbers that come out of Homeland Security, Kirsten, for the cost that we spend and the money that we lose because of illegal immigration. Billions and billions of dollars a month. Billions and billions of dollars. And it's unnecessary. So your own government stats are wrong, are you saying? No, no. I use many stats. Could you share those stats, stats with us? Let me tell you, you have stats that are far worse than the ones that I use. But I use many stats, but I also use... Homeland Security. All right, next and question. And do you, wait a minute, just a quick follow-up. Uh, no. Go, please. Thank you, Mr. President. I just want to bring you back to China for a second. The White House put out a statement today talking about the March 1st deadline. The other day, though, you gave the possibility that maybe this could slide. Are you eyeing a possible extension, 30 days, maybe 60 days? Where does the status yeah, there? Or is question. March 1st So it's a very deadline? big deal. I guess you could say it's like, must be the biggest deal ever made, if you think. Trade with China. How big does that get? Although, if you look, the USMCA is right up there. But it's very complicated. There are many, many points that we're bringing up that nobody ever brought up or thought to bring up, but they're very important because we run the wrong side of every one of them. There is a possibility that I will extend the date. And if I do that, if I see that we're close to a deal or the deal is going in the right direction, I would do that at the same tariffs that we're charging now. I would not increase the tariffs. Let me also ask you about the debt, sir, because it's gone from a shade under $20 trillion from when yeah. you took office. Now it's 
a shade over $22 trillion and heading uh, in the wrong direction. What are your plans to, to reverse it? Well, it's all about growth. But before growth I only, really or... focus on that, and you have to remember, President Obama put on more debt on this country than every president in the history of our country combined. So when I took over, we had one man that put on more debt than every other president combined. Combine them all. So you can't be talking about that. But I talk about it because I consider it very important. But first I have to straighten out the military. The military was depleted. And if we don't have a strong military that hopefully we won't have to use because it's strong, if we don't have a strong military, you don't have to worry about debt. You have bigger problems. So I have to straighten out the military. That's why I did the 700 and 716 billion. But growth will straighten it out. You saw last month the trade deficit went way down. Everybody said, what happened? Well, what's happening is growth. But before I can focus too much on that, a very big expense is military. And we have no choice but to straighten out our Is military. growth the only answer, sir, or is Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Thank you, Mr. President. On North Korea, back on the last summit, you guys came out with a pretty general agreement. Yes. I was wondering what you thought has, uh, you know, been accomplished since the last summit, and then are we going to be seeing anything concrete on denuclearization? A lot's been accomplished. We're dealing with them. We're talking to them. When I came into office, I met right there in the Oval Office with President Obama. And I sat in those beautiful chairs, and we talked. It was supposed to be 15 minutes. As you know, it ended up being many times longer than that. And I said, what's the biggest problem? He said, by far, North Korea. And I don't want to speak for him, but I believe he would have gone to war with North Korea. I think he was ready to go to war. In fact, he told me he was so close to starting a big war with North Korea. Now, where are we now? No missiles, no rockets, no nuclear testing. We've learned a lot. But much more importantly than all of it, much more important, much, much more important than that, is we have a great relationship. I have a very good relationship with Kim Jong-un. And I've done a job. In fact, I think I can say this. Prime Minister Abe of Japan gave me the most beautiful copy of a letter that he sent to the people who give out a thing called the Nobel Prize. He said, I have nominated you, or respectfully, on behalf of Japan. I am asking them to give you the Nobel Peace Prize. I said, thank you. Many other people feel that way, too. I'll probably never get it, but that's okay. They gave it to Obama. He didn't even know what he got it for. He was there for about 15 seconds, and he got the Nobel Prize. He said, oh, what did I get it for? With me, I probably will never get it. But if you look at Idlib province in Syria, I stopped the slaughter of perhaps 3 million people. Nobody talk about that. They don't talk about that. Russia and Iran and Syria were going to go in and perhaps destroy 3 million people in order to get 45,000 terrorists. And I heard about it from a woman who had her parents and her brothers living there, and she said, please, please. And I thought, I said, no, it can't happen. What are you talking about? No, they're going to get... And I come home and I read a certain paper where the story was there that they were actually forming to go into, to really, to really do... 
big destruction. And I put out a statement that you better not do it. And in all fairness to Russia and Iran and Syria, they didn't attack, or they're doing it surgically at least. Saved a lot of people. We do a lot of good work. This administration does a tremendous job, and we don't get credit for it. But I think the people understand what we do. So Prime Minister Abe gave me, I mean, it's the most beautiful five-letter, five-page letter. Nobel Prize. He sent it to them. You know why? Because he had rocket ships and he had missiles flying over Japan. And they had alarms going off. You know that. Now, all of a sudden, they feel good. They feel safe. I did that. And it was a very tough dialogue at the beginning. Fire and fury, total annihilation. My button is bigger than yours, and my button works. Remember that? You don't remember that. And people said, Trump is crazy. And you know what it ended up being? A very good relationship. I like him a lot, and he likes me a lot. Nobody else would have done that. The Obama administration couldn't have done it. Number one, they probably wouldn't have done it. And number two, they didn't have the capability to do it. So I just want to thank everybody. I want to wish our new Attorney General great luck and speed and enjoy your life. Bill, good luck. A tremendous reputation. I know you'll do a great job. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. There you go. President Trump coming out and... Uh Laying it out there. You can still hear reporters asking questions. Jim Acosta, what about the 25th Amendment? There is a lot to talk about there. Um, first of all, I, I put a poll up for those of you watching on Facebook, uh, whether or not you agree with the president signing this, uh, this agreement. And 80% of you said yes, 20% of you said no. We'll go ahead and publish those. Uh, and get that out of the way, off my screen. I don't know if y'all could see it, but it was there. It was bothering me. Uh, but was just curious about what you guys thought on that front. Uh, if you are listening to the recorded version of the podcast, uh, we'll edit that whole thing down so you don't have to listen to the whole thing. We'll we'll put the question part in there. So if you're wondering why it sounds different when you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, um, that's why. But the president laid out uh, exactly what was going on at the border and why he's doing this. And, and what it comes down to is he cares so much about this country. And I know you're probably saying, to yourself, well, Andrew, you're just such a Donald Trump fan. That's the only reason you're saying that. You got to understand, this guy... He's already won the presidency. So this whole he ran for president just because he wanted that accolade because he likes winning. Well, he's won. There's nothing else to do as far as a self-serving things. He can hang it up and go back to the house, hang it up, and go back to Mar-a-Lago, play with the grandkids, play golf all day like he allegedly does, according to MSNBC now. And everything's fine. He can go back to normal life, live a great life. But he's doing this, and he's pushing so hard on these issues because he actually cares about the American people. He could kick back and enjoy his presidency and just do the same thing every other politician did and probably get decent reviews from the media. 
compromise with the Democrats left and right, let them have what they want and, and go down in the history books that the Democrats of this country will be creating as one of the better presidents in the country. But no, instead, he's fighting these people head on and doing what he's got to do. Also, you saw the angel moms there. Angel moms who uh, he pointed out had stand up uh, even when one of the reporters asked, I don't know if it was Jim Acosta or one of the other guys, uh, about, oh, it was the other guy about the violence at the border. He's the he's the real squeaky-voiced guy that always gets uppity with, with Sarah Sanders. Uh, he says that basically the, the, the violence at the border is just made up. And Donald Trump's like, we had 20-something people just killed on the border in, in, in a big gunfight. What are you talking about? And then he acted like that wasn't a... He's like, I understand, but that's not what I'm talking about. What a bunch of idiots. And then the audacity to continue with that when he says... He looks at the angel moms, Trump, and says, ask them if it's real. Ask them if the violence of illegal immigrants in this country is real. And they spoke up. I don't know if you guys could hear it on here, but they said, yeah, it's it's real. It's it's very real. The reporters, as Donald Trump pointed, and this is what I love about the guy. He's in the business of exposing everybody. He says, y'all aren't going to report this stuff because you have an agenda. You're, you're not in the business of, of telling the American people what reality is. Only when it fits your narrative, your agenda, you will put it out there. Otherwise... You're, you're painting the story that you want the American people to see. So he goes on declaring the national emergency, lays it out, what he's doing. But again, back to the fact that Trump cares about the American people. Another reason he signed this bill, and this is far from a perfect bill. There's many things in here we should all have problems with. But it's the funding of the Border Patrol agents, the funding of the military even making sure the federal workers continue to get paid so many things. And he said, listen, a lot of this stuff, they gave me more money than I even asked for, for some of these some of these sectors, some of these projects. They gave me more money than I asked for on these things. But they're so against the wall, they wouldn't give me the money for the wall, which has put me in a position to go and declare a national emergency. It will then go through the courts, make its way to the Supreme Court, and then Trump will probably win on that front. It's all political to them. It's all a political game. And Donald Trump knows that. He knew how these people were before he even announced he was running for president. He's been dealing with them for decades. And he's beating them at their own game. Another thing he pointed out was how much money we have to spend. We've harped on the fact that it is one-tenth of one percent of the budget, the annual budget, is $5.7 billion. One-tenth of one percent. It's a drop in the bucket. Democrats wouldn't wouldn't bat an eye if $5.7 billion just out of the budget disappeared into thin air. They wouldn't think anything about it. But yet it is that important to them now because of what? politics. We're generating record numbers of revenue, tax revenue to the government because of uh, jobs being created, economic prosperity. We've got more money than we ever had when we were funding these stupid projects under Obama. 
But now they have a problem with us wasting money. And some of this money that they'll be allocating is stuff that would literally just sit in the treasury and not go anywhere. For instance, uh, income tax refunds that weren't ever claimed. Hundreds of millions of dollars worth of tax refunds that people never claimed over years. Money all over the place. They would be going to nothing else. And then other money that is already set aside for national security reasons for the military, for construction, that would also be contributed to that. Now, would people rather us take that money for uh, construction by the military? And instead of building a border wall, would you rather us go rebuild some other country? Spend that money rebuilding somebody else's homeland or protecting your own? The Democrats seem to think that uh, it's better spent somewhere else. They've always felt that way. Another thing, Democrats didn't even care to even uh, deal with the dreamers in this bill. All the stuff that they cared about, they were so adamant about blocking the wall, they didn't even put in most of the stuff that they've claimed to be standing up for. The people they claimed to be sticking up for and that was the, the people they claimed that was under the threat of, of, of Donald Trump, not a peep for those guys. It was all about blocking the wall. All about blocking the money for the wall. Money that was literally nothing to them. I got to take a break. Coming back on the other side. Over the line, overthelineshow.com. An extended version as we uh, are on the heels of the president signing the immigration agreement and declaring a national emergency. It's going to be a wild ride. So buckle up and get ready. Back after this. looking to get the word out and help grow your business hey it's andrew from over the line the podcast we are looking to partner with brand new business owners to help grow their business and get the word out to our listeners so we can link them up with the best 
businesses around. They spend their hard-earned money on these products, on these services, and we want to make sure we get them teamed up with the right people. If you're interested in teaming up with this podcast and letting people know about your business, contact me, Andrew, at OverTheLineShow.com. That's Andrew at OverTheLineShow.com. hanging out with you the thing about it is the democrats have completely ignored those on the border and i don't mean the immigrants i mean those that keep this country safe the border patrol agents i was even reading that the border patrol council president said the same thing. He said, Congress ignored what we have been telling them. We've been asking them for all these things, and they've just completely ignored our request. We're telling them what we need to combat illegal immigration, and they completely ignore us. There's a question that some of you guys continue to ask me, uh, and that is, why? Why do Democrats fight so hard to make sure the border stays open because it's no longer a thing of Democrats think this is more of a problem instead of that. So they don't want to spend the money and they're so fiscally conservative and they don't like to waste money. The government wastes money. y'all. We know that we've known that for a long time. Don't let a politician tell you that they're concerned about spending too much of your tax dollars. It's a lie. I don't care who's telling you that. It is a lie. But you guys keep asking me why. What, what, what do they have to benefit from it? Well, the obvious answer that a lot of you guys come up with is people crossing the border are potential Democrat voters. And in a sense, you guys are right. When it comes down to it, the Democrats always need a boogeyman and they always need a voting base that is looking to them for help. They, they, they not only need that, but they want that. They want a voting base looking to them to help them. They want people to think you cannot survive without the government. So what do you do if you need a giant voting base, a voting block that is impoverished and in need of help 
when the economy's doing good. When the economy's booming, people are getting jobs left and right, and, and life is great. What, how, do you, how do you cause those people to, to move back into poverty in order to feel they need you? Well, you don't. You bring in new impoverished people. You bring in new people that have nothing, that are starting from scratch, and that need a handout or a hand up. And Democrats don't give hands up. Let's, uh, let's not kid ourselves. You bring in new people that are in poverty, that are in need, and are looking for a savior, for an economic savior. And the Democrats are like, hey, we're here for you. We're going to provide you everything you need as long as you vote for us. That's why. They, want, they, they need more poverty in this country in order to regain power. They need to be the superhero. They need to be the person that saves you, the American citizen. It's the only way they can win. Their crazy policies of aborting babies after they're born is never going to get them elected. Not that they're going to ditch those policies. They're going to stick to their guns. Their anti-Israel, anti-Semitic rhetoric is not going to get them elected. What's going to get them elected is people that need them or that are told that they need them. People that have no other choice but to look to government and say, help me. That's why they're against a border wall. Also, it's very likely, very likely, that the Mexican drug cartel and some of these big wigs across the border that have billions of dollars have financially infiltrated our politics as well, on both sides. That's why you see weak-kneed Republicans. Somebody, somebody's getting some money. You can almost guarantee it. And it is a sad, sad situation. This is why Donald Trump is such a hated man. He's not getting money from anybody. He's not beholden to anybody. He's not beholden to the drug cartel or the big banks or Wall Street or anybody. He's beholden to himself and what he feels like is the right thing, which is something we have yet to see in politics, at least in whole. We're seeing that now. But those on the border telling Congress, hey, here's what we need. Can y'all help us? Oh, yeah, sure, we'll help you. Then the agreement comes. Not so much. Yeah, the Border Patrol's getting help in this agreement, but the Border Patrol's asking for a wall. And asking Congress to quit talking about how great things are at the border. Now, is immigration being more aggressively attacked? Yeah, it is. Because you've got a president that cares about that stuff. He's given the Border Patrol the tools they need to get after this. But it's still not enough. They've got to have a wall. They've got to have many things. But a wall is what helps these people close the gaps because they can't be everywhere. If you get a wall on 95% of the border 
and there's only one small area for these people to illegally cross, guess what? That's fine. We'll stack up the agents there and wait for them to show up. Well, then to fire off some, some cans of pepper spray at them or whatever. Democrats don't want that, and for some very, very sinister reasons. Every bit of it is politically motivated. Another thing that should scare the crap out of you is Nancy Pelosi suggesting that this, this uh, declaration of a national emergency is setting a precedent that means when a Democrat takes the White House, we'll consider gun violence a national emergency, and alluding to the fact that they'll just go around and take up everybody's guns. She didn't outright say that, but it sure sounded like it. How about this? Listen for yourself. Nancy Pelosi yesterday in the halls of Congress talking about the national emergency. President is doing an end run about Congress, about the power of the purse. You've heard me say over and over again, Article 1, the legislative branch, the power of the purse, the power to declare war, many other powers uh, listed in the Constitution, and, of, of course, the responsibility to have oversight. So the president is doing an end run around that. Uh, it, it is, um, we will review our options. We'll be prepared to respond appropriately to it. I know the Republicans have some unease about it, no matter what they say, uh, because if the president can declare an emergency on something that he has created as an emergency, it, 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 an illusion that he wants to convey, just think of what a president with different values can present to the American people. You want to talk about a national emergency? Let's talk about today, the one-year anniversary of another manifestation of the epidemic of gun violence in America. That's a national emergency. Why don't you declare that emergency, Mr. President? I wish you would. But a Democratic president can do that. Democratic president can declare emergencies as well. So the precedent that the president is setting here is something that should be met with great unease and dismay by the Republicans. And, of course, we will respond accordingly. Y'all should be scared. The president did this. He declared a national emergency. We told him he shouldn't do it. And now we're going to get him back. Because when we take office, we're declaring a national emergency against gun violence. And when we do that, we'll just take everybody's guns. There's only one thing she missed in explaining that, and it is the fact that if she or whatever wacko Democrat president decided to pull decided to pull that move, that wouldn't be declaring a national emergency. That would actually be declaring a war by the government against the American people. Because you know, I know, everybody on Facebook, everybody on YouTube knows that declaring some sort of state of emergency, martial law, whatever you want to call it, in an attempt to get people's guns, would not be met well by the American people. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen without most of this country being laid to waste. The Democrats are in the business of shredding our Constitution to shreds. 
They're in the business of destroying the Constitution. So they can just start over, start fresh. They use excuses like, the Constitution was assembled by old white people, slave owners, it's outdated. It hasn't kept up with technology and society. It's got to be redone. When they wrote the Constitution, when they wrote the Second Amendment, they were only talking about muskets. They weren't talking about dastardly, semi-automatic, fully banana-clipped assault rifle weapons with chainsaw bayonets. They were talking about muskets. The Democrats will be sadly mistaken. The Second Amendment was created, and it really wasn't even originally put into the Constitution. It was added because those that assembled it started to see some of those threats and the possibilities of guns being taken away from the people. And they knew because of where they came from that the people of the country, the countrymen, needed some way to protect themselves from a government. In a democracy, in a republic, sometimes you vote in bad people. And when that happens, you got to have a way to fight back when they decide to go over the line. No pun intended. So there you go. It's going to be an exciting uh, few days, few weeks, few months even as we go along. I'm trying to keep an eye on any Democrats that are uh, responding live to the president's declaration of a national emergency. I don't see anything thus far. Uh, It looks like Lindsey Graham uh, tweeting out, I stand firmly behind President Trump's decision to use executive powers to build the wall slash barriers we desperately need. Uh, Other Republicans on board as well, because I suppose... Now, Lindsey Graham is a big supporter of the, the president now, as you know. But I think he realizes, even though he's not in 100%, or maybe he is, you know, Rush Limbaugh calls him Lin- Lindsey graham Because Lindsey Graham's always in the business of wanting to grant uh, amnesty to people illegally entering this country. Uh, maybe he is. Some are not. Some are completely against him, but a lot are for it. Some because they know the president is in a place that he needs to just get the ball rolling and get funds elsewhere. Others because they think it's going to help them politically. Which is sad. You're basically a Democrat at that point. Because the only thing Democrats are doing what they're doing is 100% for political reasons. I could talk all day about that and there's going to be plenty to talk about it. Uh, next week as well. I want to squeeze in this Andrew McCabe stuff. So Andrew McCabe, he's got a new book. You know he's the former acting FBI director. He was deputy director under James Comey. James Comey gets fired. Andrew McCabe takes that post, uh, which is just, that's how that whole thing works. So he takes the post, 
and immediately jumps into figuring out how he can get Trump removed from office by invoking the 25th Amendment, starting the Russia investigation. He is um, he's in the business. Once he takes role of uh, acting FBI director, he's in the business of getting Trump out of office. Which means one thing, that this was the idea before James Comey left. Because James Comey knew that getting canned was well on its way before it happened. It was no surprise to James Comey. So you can guarantee yourself that James Comey, with Andrew McCabe and plenty of others in the Justice Department and the Intelligence Agency, concocted this plan on what they could do. Invoking the 25th Amendment, and if it does not work, the insurance policy. The insurance policy being the Russia investigation. Now, if you remember when when Andrew McCabe testified, they asked him what the insurance policy he referred to in his text, what that meant. And he could never recall what that meant. Such a vital part of the conversations that he had about an insurance policy, which obviously he spent many a nights working on, he all of a sudden couldn't remember. But months and months down the road, he remembered enough to write an entire book and give very fine details of everything that happened while he was in the Justice Department. But the one thing he can't remember was what an insurance policy meant. What he meant by insurance policy. Here is a clip. uh, This will be playing on Sunday. This is a clip of Andrew McCabe that they will be playing on uh, the extended 60 Minutes interview. Again, coming up this Sunday on... What is... uh, what is 60 Minutes? Is that CBS? I don't even know. Here he is, Andrew McCabe. I was speaking to the man who had just run for the presidency and, and, and won the election for the presidency and who might have done so with the aid of the government of Russia, our most formidable adversary on the world stage. And that was something that troubled me greatly. How long was it after that, that you decided to start the obstruction of justice and counterintelligence investigations involving the president? I think the next day I met with the team investigating the Russia cases, and uh, I asked the team to go back and conduct an assessment to determine where are we with these efforts and what steps do we need to take going forward. I was very concerned that I was able to put the Russia case on absolutely solid ground in an indelible fashion, that were I removed quickly or reassigned or fired, that the case could not be closed or uh, vanish in the night without a trace. I wanted to make sure that our case was on solid ground, and if somebody came in behind me and closed it and tried to walk away from it, they would not be able to do that without creating a record of why they'd made that decision. You wanted a documentary record. That's right. That those investigations had begun because you feared that they would be made to go away. That's exactly right. Wow. Wow. And that's how the Russia investigation became to be a thing. That's how the Russia investigation was born. Now, it's interesting because he notes that, uh, well, he didn't note, but 
it's obvious that he had no basis in saying that uh, Donald Trump was a Russian agent or any evidence they had that he colluded with Russia or his team colluded with Russia or anything like that, the campaign. But just in case my make-believe theory is correct, we better start an investigation because the 25th Amendment's not going to work. And really, if you go listen to Alan Dershowitz, he says the 25th Amendment, even in the case that Andrew McCabe's talking about, is still irrelevant. you got to have a president on your hands that is literally, and forgive me for saying this, but mentally retarded in order to invoke the 25th Amendment. you got to have uh, a uh, a Terry Schiavo on your hands in order to invoke a 25th Amendment. That's it. But yet they were doing everything they can because they could not understand why, with everything they did, their candidate lost. They literally compromised everything the FBI and the Justice Department stands for by allowing Hillary Clinton to get off the hook so she could win. And then she didn't. They literally risked their lives, their jobs and their lives, to make sure Hillary Clinton was elected and she didn't win, and they could not accept it. That's why they were hell-bent on getting Donald Trump kicked out of office. We'll have more clips of that interview on uh, Monday after that thing airs, because that's really all that CBS has leaked thus far uh, about the interview. But as soon as it happens, you know we'll be bringing you a lot of that. Just looking through some other headlines before we get out of here. Um, Kamala Harris now says that the healthcare system is racist which I'm sure is just what you wanted to hear today. We can talk about that on Monday as well. Everything is racist. Literally everything. Even make-believe hate crimes are racist. As in the case with this Juicy Smollett. I've been corrected, by the way. I've been calling him Smollett. It's Smollett. Where apparently, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, remember he was attacked at like 2 a.m. in Chicago by a couple of white guys wearing ski masks who beat him up, poured bleach on him, and started yelling Donald Trump campaign slogans as they left. Well, that's not exactly what happened. Actually, uh, Juicy Smollett, who is an actor on the show Empire, actually concocted the whole thing and the two guys that allegedly attacked him were two guys that were on the show with him. Actually brothers. That just so happened to be a couple of black guys. So there is that. That's going to come out to be uh, a big story on Monday as well. Man, we're going to have so much to cram into Monday's show. So uh, we'll we'll be on top of that. Don't you worry. Uh, the stuff in New York, we've already touched on that with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez running Amazon out of town, who is going to build their headquarters, generate billions of dollars in tax revenue for the city of New York. 
And instead, she's patting herself on the back, acting like she accomplished some big thing. Instead, she's hurt the poorest among them, especially minorities, blacks, Hispanics, so on and so forth. Couldn't uh, couldn't make this stuff up. And then yesterday, I was going to play you something. The, the new tactic by the left, which is Donald Trump is lazy and he does not do anything. And for those of you that follow politics, especially those of you that support Trump, that listen to this show, y'all know that this guy sleeps three to four hours a day and he's constantly on the go, constantly having meetings, constantly going to rallies, constantly just on the go. The guy never stops. He's the hardest working president we've ever seen. But the media, and in, in this case in particular, Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC, he seems to think that this is the laziest president of our lifetime. And then all he does is play golf in a new golf simulator that they installed into the White House. That he does nothing at all. Now, this is not necessarily the most bizarre conspiracy that they've come up with. But it's probably one of the worst ones. It's definitely top three. Here's Lawrence O'Donnell. This was two nights ago, the beginning of his show, talking about Donald Trump and his executive time that's on his schedule, where they claim he's either playing golf or laying in a lazy boy eating cheeseburgers, watching Fox News. Politicians have always been some of the phoniest people among us, but we now have the phoniest president in history, and he, of all people, is worried about looking phony. How would I look walking a dog on the White House lawn? Would that be... (laughs) Right? Sort of not for... I don't know. It doesn't... I don't feel good. Feels a little phony, phony to me. The president, who has large blanks on his schedule called executive time, also claimed that he doesn't have the time to walk a dog. And he might actually be telling the truth about that because walking a dog would take time away from playing golf. And Donald Trump is the golfiest president of all time. Some observers theorize that Donald Trump would quickly end the government shutdown that he started three days before Christmas as soon as he realized it wouldn't look cool for him to go to Florida as planned and golf away the rest of the year. But he toughed it out at the White House right through Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and then waved goodbye to his wife when she decided she'd had enough and chose to spend the rest of the holiday period in Florida, making the decidedly anti-romantic choice of leaving the president all alone in the White House on New Year's Eve. And he proved to America that he was... He's literally talking about the time Donald Trump skipped Christmas to stay in the White House while Democrats were on vacation. Just so they he could he could be there in case there was a way that popped up to end the government shutdown. Yet Lord Lawrence O'Donnell is taking that instance and painting it in a way to show just how lazy the president is. Working on New Year's Eve with this video. Well, I'm at the White House working. You're out there partying tonight, but I don't blame you. So generous of him not to blame you for partying on New Year's Eve and so stoic of the president to tough it out in the White House and not play golf for the entire 35 day government shutdown or so we thought until David Farenthold's reporting today in The Washington Post that Donald Trump has a $50,000 machine that allows him to play golf inside the White House. 
Pulitzer Prize winning Trump investigative reporter David Farenthold will join us next. So he talks about the uh, golf simulator that's been installed in the White House. $50,000. Now, you would assume by this guy's reporting that that $50,000, I mean, probably came from the taxpayers, right? You know, because that's what politicians do. They, they spend taxpayer dollars for their own personal things. He's president, so, you know, he deserves some, some downtime. But the audacity, as Lawrence O'Donnell says, the audacity of the president to install a $50,000 of taxpayer money golf simulator into the White House that all he does ever does is play, especially over the government shutdown. How absurd that is. Now, one thing he didn't note is that while Donald Trump was at the White House, the Democrats were in Puerto Rico on the beach. Nancy Pelosi's taking vacations to Hawaii. She tried to go overseas as well during the government shutdown for a week, but Donald Trump pulled her, her plane and said, no, 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 if you're going to go, you're going to fly commercial. You're not, you're not using the government, government funds to fly over there. She was going over to Afghanistan or Iraq to visit the troops, which as long as she's been in Congress, she has never done. Now, all of a sudden, during a government shutdown, she claims to care so much about she's ready to go visit the troops, thus stalling the government shutdown uh, or, or forcing the government shutdown to at least go on another week or two. He doesn't mention all that. He also doesn't mention that the fi- the $50,000 that it cost to install that golf simulator was paid out of Trump's pocket. What he also doesn't note is that $50,000 that was paid for that golf simulator wasn't to install it in the White House. It was to upgrade it because the person that installed the golf simulator just happened to be Obama. The third thing he forgot to mention was the fact that since it has been installed, Donald Trump has not even used it one time. (laughs) Not even once. The hardest working president in our lifetime is being hammered by Lawrence O'Donnell as being the laziest president of our lifetime. That's how backwards the media is. And they'll continue to be that way because they, much like Andrew McCabe, still cannot believe that their candidate lost. All the things they did to get Hillary Clinton elected were done in vain. They risked their careers, their livelihoods, really risked their freedom, as far as McCabe and crew, to get her elected. And it never happened. Instead, their worst nightmare, Donald Trump, the guy who is not the politician, not beholden to anybody, not owed, not owing anybody anything, no special interest, that guy won. we got plenty to talk about coming up Monday, so make sure you check it. OverTheLineShow.com. Sign up for the newsletter. You'll have a fantastic weekend. And until then, see you, cuz.